Hey, so we're in this um, series called Thrive, and uh, this week it's about connect groups and connecting with each other. And um, I'm going to take us to the scripture that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, and it's Psalm 92, verses 12 to 14, and it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Did you, did you get me to do this because I'm Lebanese? Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Now, I've seen the cedars of Lebanon. They are magnificent. They're beautiful. They've been around for a long time. I don't know that much about them. But I I had to do some research yesterday about a particular plant, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Rose and I, we had a wonderful uh, Christmas. We, we got to go away to Port Douglas. And um, one of the things we did up there was go to the Daintree Rainforest. And uh, we were walking through the rainforest. And I've got a picture of, you know, some of the things we saw there. And it, it's magnificent. It's really, really beautiful. It's ancient. And there are just these enormous, massive trees as you walk through. There's Rose on the left. Sorry, babe, I didn't get you to approve that. But it's... It's so big, it's gigantic, it's enormous, it's this magnificent ecosystem that you're walking through, and it's God's creation. And then we came across something that was so bizarre, and, you know, I said I had to do a bit of research yesterday to to find out what this plant was, but we came across an epiphyte, they're called, and um, it looked a little like this, and it was just hanging in mid-air. And Rose and I just stood there and looked at it, and it, I, it felt like we were just staring at it for about five minutes. Like, you, you couldn't tell how it was hanging in air. Like, when you got really, really close, there was this really thin piece of twine just hanging it in mid-air. But you just had this look on your face like, what is that? Well, what's, it, what's it doing hanging in mid-air? But whatever, it, it had obviously gotten dislodged because they're supposed to be attached to trees and you walk through the whole forest and there they are sitting on top of tree branches. That's where they're supposed to be. But this had gotten disconnected and it was awesome to look at it like that because it was intriguing and it was fascinating and it was wonderful But you also had this sense that this isn't right. It's not right for this epiphyte to be disconnected. It's not right for it to be hanging in mid-air like that. That's not its rightful place. And I think that feeling arose because you knew that it wasn't going to do well there. It wasn't going to do well disconnected. It wasn't going to flourish. It wasn't going to bear fruit. It wasn't going to stay fresh and green, as that scripture says. If it remained disconnected like that, we kind of both knew that it was going to die. It wasn't going to flourish because of its disconnection. Anyway, we moved on. Uh, you know, other people came and marveled at it as well. But I want to take us to um, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 to 47. Here we have uh, Peter. The apostles, uh, the disciples have just been filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter comes out, he gives this amazing sermon to the crowd, 
and it says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And then it goes on to say, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is an incredible scripture. That is an amazing picture of the early church. And I think it is the essence of what Jesus wanted his church to be. And I was thinking about it this morning, and the thing I could, the, the, the thing I could relate it to was like a beehive. Um, you know, there's the queen, and in our case, it's the king, the queen at the center of the beehive, who's ordering all these bees to, to do their thing and to obey and to go and to serve and to, to go far and wide and to come back into the hive. And there's this real buzz and there's great energy and there's a sound to it as well. But at the end of it, what's produced is the sweetest honey. And that is the church as well. This picture, what was being manufactured here in the church, what was being created by the Spirit of God was just the sweetest honey. It was real sweetness. And that's why people were being added to the church 3,000 in one day, because of the sweetness of the church. The church is a real, you know, <laughs> in its essence, the church is sweet. It's beautiful. It, it's incredible. When, when God says, taste and see that the Lord is good, I think he means come to church and taste the sweetness of his house. That's how you taste and see that the Lord is good. It's by coming to his house. And, you know, Pastor Phil was here last week and he said, you know, the best thing you can do for your champions, for your pastors, is actually turn up. I don't think anyone was saying that over here. There were people knocking down the doors saying, hey, we want to get involved. Hey, we want, we want in. There was no one there handing out pamphlets or brochures saying, hey, come to the meetings. No, people were knocking down the doors saying, we want in. We want some of that sweetness. We want in. How do we get in? How do we get involved? How do we get a part of this? This is just so sweet. We've never tasted sweetness like this before. And it struck me this morning, actually, they, you know, this is Middle Eastern culture we're talking about. They do community really, really well. Um, they, they do family really well. They do community really well. But there was something else. These weren't necessarily lonely people who were kind of looking for community. These were community builders. They were fantastic at it. But as great as a community is, there's nothing like a community filled with the presence and the Spirit of God. It's a completely different thing. Let's give God some praise for His house. And so I want to focus on fellowship this morning. And I know as soon as I said that word, some of you cringed <laughs> because the first thing that came to mind was like polystyrene cups with instant coffee, um, paddle pop, stirrers, an urn. Um, a room that maybe smells a little bit funny. Um, but, the, but actually, why are you laughing? It's true. Um, really, the, the word has been debased almost. It's almost like a word that we're like, oh, no, not fellowship. Like, like, can we use any other word but fellowship? 
But I think the, the word fellowship is unique to the church. Um, but because it has been debased and it, it's not a, a fantastic word that everyone can relate to, I'm going to use the word community and even extend it to friendship. But John Stott said this about fellowship. He said, it's an overworked word in the contemporary church and the image conveyed by it is often a false image. Indeed, the vocab of fellowship has become such devalued currency that it seldom means more than a genial matiness or a good gossipy get-together over a nice cup of tea. As a result, we fall sadly short of the rich, deep, full fellowship envisaged in the New Testament. Fellowship, community, is meant to be rich. It's meant to be deep. It's meant to be that sweetness that I was talking about earlier. So let's go back about eight years. So I'm 22 and I've kind of loved God growing up, but I've definitely returned to Him at that age and needed Him more than ever and started going to another big Pentecostal church, and that was wonderful, and I'd never heard the word preached like that, and it was, you know, God really did a work in me, and it was fantastic, because I could just turn up, hear the word of God, and leave, <laughs> and I felt like that's what I needed to do, that's, that's all I knew how to do, I, I knew nothing about, like, Christian community, because I'd kind of grown up in a Catholic church, and over there, um, you know, the, the community's there already. Um, it's your culture, it's your community, and church is kind of the add-on, um, but you don't go to church to build community. You go to church as a community, so it's a bit different. And so, just sat under the Word of God for about a year, and as He fed me and as I grew in the Word of God, I felt like, just like Jason and Maria were saying, that, that urgency arises in you for community. It's, it's part of you. And after about a year, I thought, yeah, it's time for me to, to join a connect group. It's time for me to connect. And I, there was some promo similar to this, like, you know, there's a connect fair, come and um, join up. And I put my name down. And, it, you know, the list said, do you want to join a connect group? I said, yes. And then people would call me um, every week. And they'd say, hey, we know you're looking for a connect group. Where do you, you know, where do you live? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, look, I live in Parramatta. I work in the city. Um, so anywhere in between there is good for me. All right, what week? What? And I'm like, any night of the week, I'm good. Um, okay, we're, we're going to find you one. Someone will contact you. And every week I got that call saying someone, you know, they were going to find me a connect group. But um, no, no connect leader actually ever called me. And, and, you know, that's not to say they didn't do their job or anything like that. But... At the same time, I felt God was kind of moving me on. And, you know, I used to walk past, uh, drive past this building for about five years, and often I'd look at it and go, do they actually do church in there? <laughs> it just looked like offices. So, um, for about five years I did that. And then one day, while, you know, in the, in the few weeks when I was getting those calls saying, we're going to find you a connect leader, blah, 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 I actually looked up a service here, the 5 p.m. service, and I came. And it was amazing. I met Leon, who loves Leon. And I remember where I sat. I sat where about, yeah, where Solomon is, around about there, you know, towards the back. 
Um, and afterwards, Leon came up to me and he said, hey, do you want to, there's a group of us going out for dinner, do you want to come? And my immediate reaction was, nah, mate, I'm busy. Um, I've got something on. And then I went back to my car and I thought, what? You, you know you want community. You know you're looking for it. Um, you actually came here looking for it and someone's invited you and you've just made up a lie <laughs> to avoid them. And I felt, you know, I thought, what am I doing? But it can be a bit like that, you know. Oh, no, what are they going to, you know, this is, this is going to be hard work or what are they going to think of me and what's this going to cost me and, you know, what, what TV show's on tonight? And <laughs> But I had to make a decision that put that aside and actually do what God is calling me to do, do what God is asking me to do to get connected. So I actually called Leon up and I said, hey, I don't actually have anything on. <laughs> if you're going for dinner, I'd still love to come. And he goes, yeah, of course, Ray, we're going here, we're going. And here's the funny thing about that night. I don't remember, I remember where I sat in the service and I remember Pastor Nat led the, the meeting. I don't remember who preached. I don't remember what they preached about. I don't remember what sung, songs were sung. But I remember absolutely everything about that dinner. I remember who was there. I remember where they were seated. I remember what we spoke about. I remember what we ate. And I've got a terrible memory, by the way. <laughs> but I also remember feeling like, ah, this feels right. This is what I've been looking for. This feels good. And, you know, I, the reason why I, I had to go looking for community was I'd, I'd kind of cut myself off from my friends um, the, the previous year because... You know, I'd pressed into God and all of a sudden we didn't have that much in common. So I had to let go of those friends and it was just God and me uh, alone together and it's beautiful and it's wonderful for a season. Um, and, you know, sometimes we have these crazy pictures of it just being us and God, like, you know, and there's a soundtrack on and it's like, just the two of us, we can make it if we try, just the two of us. But that is not God's soundtrack. God's soundtrack is more like, I get by with a little help from my friends. Do not sing the next line. But as soon as you get close to God, he says, hey, this is wonderful. I love what we have here. I'd love you to meet. I love you. You love me. I'd love you to meet. That's God. That's God. He's community. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a community. We are created in His image, the Bible says. So we are created for community. We are created. Let's give Jesus a hand. And I'm so thankful that I, I did come here and I got connected here and I decided to go out. Because that, that dinner did change my life. It really did. It's, it's amazing what a connection can do. It will always lead you to community. And so Pastor Phil last week reminded us that um, God looked at Adam and he said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And that's true. But the amazing thing about that is that is before 
sin came into the world. So sin comes into the, in, into the world in chapter 3, but in chapter 2, God's saying, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And, he, he, and then he looks at Adam and he says, that's not good. So the, the loneliness that Adam was feeling wasn't a result of sin. It was actually before sin came into the world. So it was actually, and Adam's ache for friendship, for community, wasn't because he sinned and it wasn't because he was dysfunctional. It was actually because he's perfect. So if you have an ache for community, if you have an ache for people, if you're feeling lonely, you're not dysfunctional, you're not needy, you're actually perfect. That's what God means when, you know, he, he says it's not good for man to be alone. Um, every other ache probably comes from sin. So the hunger ache, the guilt ache, um, the, the purpose ache, all those other things, you know, I reckon they do come from sin, but the loneliness ache, it preceded sin. It definitely preceded sin. And this is, going back to just the two of us, this is Adam in the presence of God 24-7. He, he's never had a, a dry, quiet time in his life. He, he's in perfect communion with God, but Adam in the presence, you can't, you can't even enjoy paradise without community. You can't even enjoy the presence of God without community. And so if, you, if that's you, if you're, if you're saying, yeah, you know what, I do actually have that ache for loneliness, you're perfect. And I want to encourage you to head up to the Connect Fair after the group and find a group and trial different groups and find your fit. That's the best thing you can do. And I also want to put a thing out there, for, um, just put this out there, that there might be someone here who's actually decided, you know what, <sighs> I don't want friends. Or, you know, and it's probably a subconscious decision. I don't think you've said it out aloud, but you've been hurt by friends, you've been betrayed. Um, things haven't worked out well. And the thought of s starting again is actually really difficult. Um, I want to encourage you to actually give it another go. Give it another go. You need it. You're created for it. You're built for it. And don't wait, because when things unravel and life gets tough, by then it's too late. You, you need to have that around you now. You need to have it around you every step of the way. It's like air. You know, we don't, you know, it's rare that I go around saying, oh, yeah, how good is air? I love air. It's amazing. But when you're underwater and you're under there for a little longer than you'd like, that's when you're like, how good is air? But it's the same with community and with friendship. You don't realize how much you need it until you actually need it. So please go for it. And it's actually a lot rarer than it used to be. There's something going on in our world where friendship, community is actually under attack. Um, here's a st statistic about Western countries, and it says, in Western countries, they did this survey, say, people say they have no close friends, and that has tripled in recent decades. So in Western societies, the average person has only two friends. Two and a half decades ago, they had six. So in just two and a half decades, the number of uh, close friends has been cut 
to one third. It's been cut by two thirds. So friendships are declining. There's something going on. But that's why I believe church is the answer. Church is the answer. The house of God is the answer. It's got the sweetness. It's got the honey. No matter what happens outside the walls, we are family. We are community. We are friends. And we will continue growing. We will continue multiplying. The outsiders will become insiders because the church is unique. It's so different to the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we don't have to be afraid of that statistic. We can be encouraged by it, actually, that we've got the answer right here in this place. Amen. Amen. So, the, the funny thing was that even after getting connected here, about six months into it, even though I felt like I found my fit, um, I was ready to kind of up and leave. And I had this great um, mission trip planned out. That, and it was totally just my own thinking and my own doing. And whenever I went to God about it, he said no. And I wrestled with God for a few months because um, I'm like, no, God, I'm, I'm going. Like, haven't you read the scriptures? They, they say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and, you know, go. And, and I'm like, God are we not on the same page here? And he said, no, you, you are to stay. You are to remain. And that was real tough for me. And just, just like that epiphyte hanging in the tree there, there is something attractive about independence. There is something, especially in today's world, where you're a hero if you're independent. Oh, the woman who independent, throw your hands up at me. And that's, that's not for the women, that's for all of us. But independence is, is held up as a, a, a real ideal. Like, you, you know, the best thing you can be is independent. Don't need anyone. You know, no one should need you. Um, independence is the pinnacle of existence. And it's so true. And I think I got stuck in that mindset where I was like, no, I'm going to go blaze my own trail. I'm going to go overseas on my own little mission trip. I'm going to leave here and I'm going to be independent. And it's beautiful because I just move around from place to place. I don't have any connections. It's a great way to kind of escape from what God actually wants to do in me. And he said, no, no, you stay. Because he knew this is where I was going to grow. This is where I was going to build close relationships. This is where it was going to go deeper than just superficial. This is where it was going to get ugly at times. This is where I was going to be challenged. And it's so easy to, to want to run away and be independent. But God, there's something about God. He says, no, I want you to depend on me. He wants you to be dependent on him, but also dependent on others. So that, that idea in the world that says independence is awesome, it's not awesome. It is not actually awesome because if you are independent, completely independent, then I think it's as God said to, to the devil, then you make yourself a God. You make yourself a God. But so long as you're dependent on God and dependent on his people, then you're in the right place. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. And here's the thing. I said before I left, um, I had to leave my friendship circle and that's, 
that's not because we, did, we, we had a falling out or we didn't want to be friends before. But friendship is not about looking at a person and saying, hey, will you be my friend? It's actually looking at the same thing and saying, we, we both believe in that. We, we believe in the same truth. That's what friendship is. So if you're a parent and, you know, some kid turns out to be friends with your kid and he's got, you know, needle jabs in his arm, you're worried because, you know, t friends tend to bow before the same things. They tend to like the same things. They tend to look to the same things. They tend to listen to the same things. And that is friendship. It's not about, hey, this is great. Will you agree to be my friend and I'll agree? To no, it's not. It's actually saying, as friends, we bow down to the same truth. That's why people tend to look, you know, people who hang out tend to look the same. They tend to sound the same. They tend to be interested in the same things because they're actually bow, you know, they're bowing down to the same truth. They're looking at each other going, do you believe this? Do, is this your truth? Yeah, cool. Okay, we can be friends. Um, but that is the beauty of the house of God. We do. <laughs> we do bow down before the same truth. And if, if I can get the band to come up, we bow down before the same truth. We bow down before the same God. And there is power in us bowing down before the same God. And I love that about Silverwater, that it's multicultural and it's diverse. And you know why it can be multicultural and diverse? And you know why it's not just an, an African church or a Lebanese church and we all don't look the same and dress the same? It's because we're Christians first. We're Christians first and all that other stuff is second. We bow down before the same truth. We bow down before the same God. And that is the difference between friendship here and friendship elsewhere. You're bowing down before the same truth. And so when you're in that connect group, or when you're catching up with someone for coffee, or you're, you're building something together, there is a truth there that binds you together. There is the ultimate truth that guards that relationship. You know that the person there is gonna speak truth to you. Even though they might challenge you, even though it might hurt, you're bowing down to the same truth. It's so powerful. You can't get that anywhere else. You can get a version of the truth, but the truth is here. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know that epiphyte that we, I put up before? It doesn't actually get its nourishment from tree branch like it doesn't graft itself into the branch it just sits on top and things from the environment in the atmosphere just come and they actually nourish it and so it's not looking to the tree going you're my savior and sometimes there might be people here saying oh i don't know if i can run a connect group because i don't want anyone to their saviour but you're not their saviour you just hold them up you're just the structure that holds it up and it's the stuff in the atmosphere it's the spirit of God that nourishes that comes that feeds that sustains that's the house of God that's 
why we encourage connect groups. Connect group leaders know one saviour. They don't save the people in the group. We've got a, we've got a mighty saviour. But he comes and the two or more are gathered in his name. He's there in their midst. His spirit comes in every connect group meeting. In every form of community he comes. That's his truth. 